I'm Jim Calloway. And I'm Sharon Nelson. This is the 46th edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Today, our topic is all things Apple for lawyers. And our guest is Brett Burney, our friend, colleague, and frequent co-speaker. Brett is the principal of Burney Consultants, an Ohio e-discovery and IT consulting firm. Welcome, Brett. Thank you. Thank you both. It is, it's an honor to be on the Digital Edge. I've been listening for uh, since show number one, and it's just great to be on with Miss Sharon and the Cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, let's start with one fundamental question. Why is Apple taking over the world? Okay, let me rephrase that a little bit. Why are lawyers now seeming to move in droves to Apple products? <laughs> well, Jim, it's because they're just so cool. Um, okay, so putting that aside, though, I, I, I really attribute the shift to about four points. And first is what I call the halo effect. Folks that have purchased an iPod or an iPhone or an iPad and they've gotten into sort of the the Apple environment and gotten used to the tech support, they start to think, hmm, what else can I buy from the great, glorious Apple and see what I can integrate into my workflow? Number two, more lawyers are using Macs at home and they're personalized, whether they buy one for their kid that's going to school, for example, or they just decided to buy a Mac for the home. They've gotten used to that environment at home and they want to try to bring that into the workplace or at least explore the question of whether it's possible. And then more on the technical side, number three, I would say when Apple made the switch to Intel processors in early 2006, that meant one important aspect for us, at least, that meant that Macs could run Windows, at least in a virtual session. That opened the door to the idea that you could have your Mac and eat your Windows cake, too. You could, you could run a Mac and also run a virtual Windows environment that would allow you to run some of these applications that, of course, that you need for a legal environment but are only available on Windows. And then the, the last aspect, frankly, is the rise of cloud services today. When a Mac lawyer doesn't have access to a piece of software that you're familiar with from a Windows side, they can now at least now have the option to turn to cloud services like Clio or Rocket Matter or even uh, NextPoint and Lexby on the litigation support side. Yeah, it's interesting, Brett, that you call it the halo effect because I call it drinking the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about perspective. Ah, uh, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, as you know, I am ever the Apple skeptic, even though I, I own an iPad now and I do love my iPad. Yes. But, you know, I do have some real reservations about Apple and some of its products. And, and one thing that happened just this week is that we all heard that the new Lion operating system is insecure, which is certainly not great news for lawyers who love their Macs. What's your take on this news? Brett? Yeah, yeah, it's it, you're absolutely right, Sharon, and you always have a good eye for this. There was indeed <laughs> a story over the last few days that the login password of a Mac could basically be slurped up by using a product from one company. I think they charge around $1,000 for it or so. And you have to have physical access to the computer, which of course, once that happens, you're, it's pretty much over anyway. And the Mac has to have a FireWire port in. So this company, could you could plug this product in. And even if the computer is locked or in sleep mode, as opposed to being turned off completely, you could then siphon off that email address. Now, they, the company actually, to be fair, does say that there's a very easy way to get around this vulnerability, and that is to simply go in and turn off the automatic login on the screen uh, or the screensaver, as it were. So that way, it's not automatically keeping that password in in active memory. And um, 
that's been a hole actually that's been even known since around 2008 if you go back and look at some of the archives and and really to be honest on that aspect apple should have closed that and that should have been something that's not addressed and should have been a closed security hole so i hope that in the very near future apple will address that that said you'll find that there are some other security experts out there that have declared lion to be one of the safest versions of the mac os it now implemented some sandboxing around the safari web browser which has always been a little insecure in some aspects and they've implemented another technology that kind of hides some of the shell code and protects some of the system components so that it's not as easy to access any longer. So you'll find some folks that have said that this is at least the safest version of the Mac OS in uh, many years. Uh, Brett, don't mean to take this skeptic hat here as well, but when I first <laughs> got my first Mac, I, uh, I was a little bit disappointed on the claims that it was so much easier to use. I, my, my conclusion was that if you were a novice user, it probably was a lot easier to use, but as a power user, it was a little bit more difficult to make the transition. So why do you think so many lawyers are moving to Macs and having the switch operating systems, going through that learning curve, looking for the control key, uh, et cetera? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Jim. And, and you know, there is this perception from so many folks out there that that want to go to Mac or that are looking at the Mac that oh it's just going to be easy street from now on out and I don't have to deal with Windows anymore and that is absolutely not the case in fact it's one of the first things that I kind of raise a flag with when people approach me asking if it's possible to go to the Mac and I tell them number one there is absolutely a learning curve it's a different environment the the way that the menus for example at the top of of the applications how they interact and and and, and how they work are completely different and that does take some time to get used to you know right clicking has always been different and i mean there's there's quite a bit that's different that people have to get used to and once they do i find that they're very happy with it but there's a learning curve which takes time and of course time is always of the essence especially in in our world the the other thing though that so many people are looking for is a, sort of two words grouped together stability and reliability and there is that appeal for many folks that there's sort of a cleaner interface with with the mac you know anybody that's had to go through the nightmare of cleaning up spyware off of a windows system or just having a bunch of junk and garbage on there they're very happy with the way that the mac operating system works and acts and responds Last year, Clio actually had an Apple and law firm survey where they had about 830 respondents. And the top reason that lawyers said that they selected Max was literally the stability and reliability aspect. And, and you know, just one more comment on the on the security side. I, I always caution folks in saying this too, that even though Apple, <laughs> number one, and many other people like to tout the fact that Macs are so much more secure, I've always believed from a realistic standpoint that it's simply because it's it's less of a target right if if i was going to write some malicious code would i write it for 90 percent of the computing market which is windows of course or maybe 10 or less percent of the market which is the mac side as macs continue to grow in popularity i am absolutely convinced that we will see more attacks on the mac side and that has to be taken into consideration as well it's not bulletproof by any by any stretch 
Yeah, and certainly I think we have seen more attacks on, on, on Apple than we yes. had previously, and uh, it never was bulletproof, and I think a lot of people were selling snake oil when they, they tried to make out that it was. So I'm glad more people like you are realistically helping people understand that it has the same vulnerabilities or different vulnerabilities, but equal vulnerabilities. So, so John, is, is he's showing me a piece of paper about Mac Defender, so you, you can talk about that if you want to, Brett. But anyway, you know, I, I do think that, that it has gotten better and it's still improving but it certainly is not to be regarded as you are now safe. Jim had mentioned the learning curve, and that's certainly one of the downsides of switching because you really do have to learn a new system. But are there other downsides or challenges that lawyers will face if they if they do make the move? Because I know they, they want to go, many of them, and many of them love the Apple world, but there must be other challenges as well. Yeah, <laughs> uh, absolutely. And first and foremost, I guess maybe in conjunction with that, security aspect is the fact that there are so very few legal specific applications available for the Mac. I, I used to actually say that there were no legal specific applications that would run natively on the Mac, but that has actually changed even over the last two to four years with several companies coming out with some products that I guess you could you could sort of understand to be within the realm of legal specific. So by this, what do I mean by this? Um, the first question I ask lawyers that want to look at the Mac, are, are you currently running Time Matters or Amicus Attorney or Prolaw, Summation, Concordance, World Docs, iManage, any of the typical legal technology, legal applications that, that we have all come to know and, and understand that fit within a legal environment? If you're running any of those applications, you will not get any of those applications when you go to the Mac side. Now, that's not to say that that's, it's still not doable. A lot of people are doing it. A lot of people are happy running the Mac, but I make sure to set that realistic expectation that it's not like you're just going to a different computer and bringing all your software with you. That's not going to be possible. I, I think another hurdle I would say in here is sort of along those lines, you're always going to be making an exception in some form or fashion. If you decide to standardize your practice on a Mac or run a Mac, you have to understand that you're in the minority right off the bat. And so there's going to be comments like, oh, I can't open that document that you sent me, or here I've sent you this file, but then the recipient says that they can't open it, or they can't read it, it looks funny, etc. There's all kinds of ways to get around that, of course, and it's absolutely possible to run your practice on a Mac, but you have to understand, first and foremost, that you are the exception to the rule, which means that you may have to pay a little more attention to some of those, some of those logistics, if you will. We already talked about the learning curve. And then last, last thing I want to say, maybe along these lines of the security aspect that I think Apple is doing a little bit of a better job to address, is that there is less technical support available for business users on the Mac platform. Now, Apple has done a much better job over the last years, not only with the retail stores where you can go in and find the, quote, genius, but they've also have business-specific sessions and programs that you can jump into that help on the tech support specifically for business users. But this is a little bit of a new territory for Apple. They've never put themselves forward as a business-friendly computing system. They've always focused more on the consumer market, which is obviously uh, obvious from all of the products that they've come out with. That is changing slightly, and we are seeing a little bit more of attention drawn to the business side, but it's still not anywhere near what you're going to find as far as consultants and technical support on the Windows side. Brett, you mentioned that you can now run Windows on a Mac because of the Intel processor, but that, of course, necessitates 
spending the extra money to purchase windows. <laughs> right. And I wonder, I think some of our listeners may be asking, so why would you want to do that, especially since a Mac costs a little bit more to purchase to begin with? Yeah, great question. You know, and, and I always tell people that one of the ways that I justify my purchase of Mac is the fact that I can get two computers for the price of one. It, you can literally boot into a Mac operating system, so I'm using all of my Mac software, and then I can have a virtual version, a virtual Windows session running right alongside of it. That does sound a little funny, and in fact, I'm still flabbergasted at the fact that I can see two individual computers running side by side. The main area where that is significant for Mac using lawyers is that if they are currently running Time Matters or Amicus or some Windows applications, when they do make that move to the Mac, they can continue to use those Windows applications, albeit in a virtual environment. There's a little bit of, of a kludge there and, you know, switching back and forth, of course, but I have many clients that are continuing to do this very successfully simply because they're not quite yet ready to move away from the Windows software that they had been using in the past, if that makes sense. But they can, they can now run the Mac hardware, which is so beautiful in and of itself. They can run the Mac mail application and several other Mac native applications, but still, still have access to their Windows applications and software as well. So let's go to a pretty fundamental question. Assuming a lawyer has made the decision to move over to Mac, what hardware would he or she buy? This, this is a good question, and it, I look at it, the fact that we have such fewer options on the Mac side. Some may say that that's not so good, right? You're limited in your options. I think it's great because you don't have to worry about whether you're going to get a Toshiba or a Compaq or a Dell or, or Asus or whatever a computer. You're going to Apple for it. If you're looking for a desktop, my recommendations, it still continues to be the iMac, which is an all-in-one computer. It looks like a big monitor, but there's actually a full computer built into the back of it, and all you need then is a keyboard and a mouse, and you're good to go. Uh, those come in 21 and a half inches and 27 inches. I would say go big if you can. For the laptop side, I now recommend the MacBook Airs, which are the ones you've probably seen that Apple just released an updated version of. I used to recommend the MacBook Pros to most legal professionals because I felt that the the additional power was sometimes necessary and the additional capacity on hard drives, et cetera. But I am becoming more and more convinced that the MacBook Airs are plenty have plenty of processing power, plenty of, of memory, and can run anything that it needs that a lawyer would need to run. The big difference, of course, is that the Airs don't have a CD DVD player anymore. But hey, who know who needs those anymore? <laughs> that is a big consideration. And then going beyond that, a couple of things that I always recommend, of course, is a Fujitsu Scan Snap, just like on the Windows side. There's a there's a Mac version of that. It, it, it integrates very well within the Mac operating system. Highly recommend that. And then Apple also sells what they call a time capsule, which is a, a backup product as well as, uh, uh, as having a full Wi-Fi router built into it. And it works very well, of course, with other Apple products such as a MacBook Air or an iMac. I have to tell you that MacBook Air just amazes me when I look at how thin the uh, monitor is on it. <laughs> it really is kind of crazy how thin it comes. I think it's like one, it, it's just a few millimeters in, in uh, thickness. And uh, that's, that's a very portable machine right there. Okay, we've covered hardware. What software would it, the lawyer want to buy? Well, you know, we've already established that you have a very limited palette of software to choose from, at least as it pertains specifically to the legal market. 
I, I should first state that the Mac operating system, Mac OS X, uh, Mac OS X, has an excellent mail application and a calendar application we call iCal and an address book application built into the system. Most lawyers don't even need to go beyond that. There is Microsoft Outlook, which I'll cover in just a second, that is available, but most, pe most people find that using the built-in mail and calendar app works just fine. So other, many people may not also know that Microsoft makes Microsoft Office for Mac, and that's the latest version is 2011. You'll recall that on the Windows side, the latest version is 2010. We're always one year ahead <laughs> on, the, on the Apple side, but Microsoft does have Microsoft Office for Mac. I always recommend that lawyers that are using Mac purchase a copy of Microsoft Office for Mac, mainly because it helps tremendously with any of those document collaboration concerns with sharing documents, you know, you, you know that you actually have a Microsoft Word version that you can look at a Microsoft Word document in, and that makes a big difference. You also have PowerPoint, Outlook, and Excel built into that as well. And then in a similar vein, I also recommend that lawyers purchase Adobe Acrobat uh, Pro, if at all possible. So there's Adobe Acrobat for Windows. There's also Adobe Acrobat for Mac. And the latest version is uh, 10 or X, Adobe Acrobat X. And I always recommend the professional version, even though it costs quite a bit more. But you do get some of those legal-specific features, such as bait stamping and, and the you know, OCRing and some of the other features that are available on the high end. I think that that's very important for managing and working with documents on the Mac side. And then we have a very few other select applications that a lot of Mac using lawyers use, such as one, it's a funny name, but a very functional application called Circus Ponies Notebook. The company is Circus Ponies, but it looks like a, almost like a spiral bound notebook that you can flip and create notes and almost create an outline. We have a beautiful timeline application from a small developer up in uh, Washington State called BDocs Timeline, B-E-E -E Docs Timeline. And then we use other applications such as Evernote, for example, for keeping track of, of notes and information, similar to what you would do on the uh, Windows side. Well, let's talk for just a moment about the iPad, Brett. As, as you know, John and I recently wrote an article for the ABA right, discussing right. whether it's a tool or a toy. And as is customary in our household, we disagreed. Uh, <laughs> so it made for an, an interesting dinner conversation or six. And, uh, and the article was pretty interesting in its uh, differing views. You know, I've killed my share of pigs and angry birds. Uh, and uh, when I've been recovering from my knee replacement, I've certainly played a whole lot of free cell and Sudoku being able to do anything but ice and elevate. But I do find that there is, you know, there really is some good productivity tools for the iPad, and, and yes. I enjoy it. I, I like both the entertainment value, the consumer stuff, and the productivity stuff. So I like it. John still thinks it's more of a toy. Do you think it's a worthy tool for lawyers, and how are you finding that they use it? Well, you could probably guess that I'm a huge fan of the iPad. So my answer, of course, is going to be yes. I find that it has become a very worthy tool as long as you take a few minutes and a little bit of time to make sure that you're comfortable and familiar enough with the applications and, and of course, how it works. Uh, to, to me, honestly, the main appeal when it comes in a, in, in a legal environment is simply the ability to carry 
so many of your documents in an electronic form. You know, I talked to so many trial lawyers, for example, that used to always carry in boxes of documents and folders upon folders into the courtroom or the courthouse. And now they can, they still may have to carry those boxes, but they don't have to rummage around for those documents all the time. They can simply pull them up within the iPad because mainly they've scanned them into PDF, right? And then they've loaded them onto the iPad so that they can view those documents and annotate them as, as necessary. And by the way, I know you guys uh, just talked to Tom Mile a few episodes ago who wrote the book for ABA on the iPad and One Lawyer for Lawyers, uh, One Hour for Lawyers. That's a great podcast that you guys did, and he's got a lot more apps that he covers in that episode. But the difference for me that I think on the iPad is the fact that it gives us another way to tangibly interact with the documents. And the only point that I make, I know it sounds a little silly, but I think it's, it's, it's pretty fundamental. When you're working with a document on a, on a computer, for example, you still have a disconnect because we're not touching that document. We're looking at a keyboard or a mouse. On the iPad, the difference is that you're actually touching that document, whether you're zooming in or whether you're using a stylus to annotate a document. I know it's a small point, but I find that to be incredibly helpful. And I think that that's one of the main game changers with the fact that we're using an iPad to carry around documents, which, of course, is the lifeblood of, of our profession. Well, I have to tell you to add in my comment, Brett, uh, I think uh, a free press and newspapers are, are kind of the foundation of a democracy and online content in terms of a pay model has just never made it so but if you've ever seen an ipad optimized newspaper with all the additional yes. content the way it works the, i'm hoping the ipads may save at least part of our newspaper industry absolutely moving on to the iphone it's obviously become a phenomenon in the legal industry i see more lawyers with iphones than any other phones right. sometimes to the discomfort of certain security folks including uh, two listening to us right now what's your view on the use of the iphone by lawyers and are there any special caveats for lawyers using an iphone right great question jim it's a very popular device i think apple just last quarter sold 22 million iphones now obviously not all to lawyers but that's a staggering number uh, my caveats for lawyers when when i know that they're using an iphone because as Sharon and John will tell you, it's not as secure as many other devices on the market. First and foremost, common sense, don't lose it. Keep track of it. That sounds true for any mobile device. But specifically on the iPhone, set a passcode. Use the auto lock feature. I know that it can be thwarted in some forms or fashion, but it's better to have that on there than nothing at all, of course. And recently, I just wrote on my uh, Mac Max in Law blog to make sure that you have an application called Find My iPhone enabled on the actual device. That is a free application from Apple that you can actually be able to find and pinpoint where your iPhone is within uh, – based on GPS location. And I think that's a fantastic tool to have when you need to be able to find your iPhone if you've lost it, unfortunately, or something along those lines. Does this work for uh, law enforcement too? <laughs> Can they find it could, you? <laughs> and there are a myriad of stories on yeah. the internet where you'll find that that lost iPhone or iPad has been found simply because of this setting. And I think, I, as I wrote on my blog post, it is crucial. I think it should be it should be mandatory for lawyers that have iPhones to have this uh, uh, this free service and free app enabled on their iPhone and iPad. 
As well, a former family lawyer, I'm thinking that the other name of it may be track my errant spouse application. <laughs> nice, nice. I, yeah. I haven't seen that app yet, but uh, I'm sure somebody can develop it. Oh, it's, it's, it's here. Trust me. <laughs> Many different names, but it's here. We're, we're, we're run, running out of time here a little bit, Brett, but can, can you give us just a two or three or four or five of quickly of your favorite apps for the iPhone and the iPad? Oh, oh of course. This is like the new what's your favorite TV show these days. <laughs> Good reader and documents to go, two of the uh, must-haves, I think, for any lawyer. Some of my favorite ones that I use all the time is uh, one called PDF Expert. It's from the company that does Rialto Docs, but PDF Expert not only lets you create fillable PDF forms on your iPad, but it also allows you to sign those documents. And I find several lawyers that are using that to sign up clients, even at the courthouse, because you can create a PDF and send it off to your assistant and sign up a new client. I think that Tom mentioned uh, Zite, which was uh, which is a great way to read a lot of uh, the news that's out there. The one last one that I'll put out is a note shelf. A lot of people like a note writing application called Notes Plus. I have always liked note shelf though. I, I find it to be the, the, the most similar to handwriting on an actual piece of paper. I just like the, the way that it responds to me and I've sold a, quite a number of copies and they just recently updated note shelf. Well, that's great. If our listeners would like further resources, where might they go? Great question. One of the best resources for Mac using lawyers is by Ben Stevens, a blog called themaclawyer.com. He's down in South Carolina and has uh, been an ardent spokesman for using Macs in the practice of law. Ben is also one of the moderators for the Macs in Law Offices, Milo Google group that is probably one of the most active email listservs that you can access today. It's you can If you go to themaclawyer.com Ben's site, you'll see a link over on the left. About four years ago when it started, I think they had several hundred members. We're up over 3,300 now today. So that just kind of gives you an idea of how many people are jumping onto this bandwagon. Uh, they also have a conference now called MiloFest that you can find at milofest.com. I would, I would like to throw in my own blog that I've started working on called maxinlaw.com where I link out to a lot of these resources and try to provide a lot of information about uh, two folks that are looking into this or, or want to uh, get more active in this. macattorney.com is another great site. And then I would also put another plug in for the ABA Tech Show. Uh, our next tech show is in March of 2012, and we have a very active quote, Mac track that we've been working on for the last four years, the last two years, we've even expanded it based on the amount of feedback that we've gotten from, uh, from attendees. So I would, I would uh, also put in techshow.com and look for the Mac track there. This is just such a hot topic. Anything Apple is, uh, it's been amazing to watch the news where they even have counterfeit Apple stores in China selling right. counterfeit products, and nobody cares because they, they apparently they've reverse engineered them so that they work just like the real thing. Absolutely. <laughs> I think the employees didn't even know that they were fake. Uh, no, <laughs> I think that to work for Apple. the employees thought they were working for Apple. It was quite amazing. But anyway, it is a hot topic, and, and Brett, thanks so much for sharing your knowledge with uh, Jim and I and our Digital Edge listeners, and thank you for being our guest. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank both of you. That's all, folks, for this edition of the Digital Edge Lawyers and Technology. Thanks for joining us. Goodbye, Ms. Sharon. Happy trails, cowboy.